0: Everybody, what is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, I'm starting off with two reminders. Number one, if you're anything like me, you sometimes need a reminder when it comes to getting in the word regularly. I don't know if you knew this, but Join the Journey actually has an app that can send you daily reminders. Download the app, hit the gear in the top right corner, and toggle the reminder switch on. My phone defaulted to sending reminders at 7 a.m., but if you tap the time listed, it will allow you to adjust the reminder time yourself. That's reminder number one. You can set reminders. Reminder number two, each book of the Bible was originally all written as one document, so to speak. There were no chapter breaks or verse numbers in the original text. So with that being said, as we dive in, make sure you've read yesterday's chapter, Judges 19. And I'd also recommend you listen to yesterday's podcast episode. It should make things clear as the events in chapter 20 happened right after chapter 19, sequentially, and tomorrow we'll read about the consequences of what happens here in chapter 20. All of these chapters go together. We're really reading one story over several days. Back in Judges 19, yesterday, we saw a Levite man who was wrongly traveling with a concubine. If you don't know what that is, again, check out yesterday's episode. As ultimately, this Levite's concubine ends up being brutally abused to the point of death. She was then cut into pieces, which were sent to all of the tribes, prompting the civil war that breaks out here in chapter 20. At the end of the day, we're looking at what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. This war takes place between the members of the tribe of Benjamin, which includes the city of Gibeah, and the rest of the Israelites. The Levite man explains what happened in Gibeah, and the remaining tribes act unanimously as one man to gather and fight. As we've read in many different stories thus far, the tribes don't always choose to cooperate, even under divine command, so this unity is unique. We read about it in verses 8-11, through which read, And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, a lot of men, to bring provisions for the people that when they come, they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. Verse 11. So, all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. To their credit, though, the Israelites first had attempted to deal with this situation peacefully and communicate with the tribe of Benjamin, but that didn't work. When Benjamin decided to instead side with Gibeah, the people group of the men who'd abused the concubine or the city in which it was done, when Benjamin betrayed their own family and sided with the enemy, the rest of the Israelites then decided to cast lots to deal with Benjamin as if they were a Canaanite town. Said differently, the whole of Israel, all of Israel, decided to treat the tribe of Benjamin as if they were a foreign nation to be conquered rather than their own people. Here's what's really interesting. In Judges 1, we saw the people of Israel inquire of Yahweh the Lord, Yahweh being the more personal name for God. Judges 1, 1 reads, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Now here in Judges 20, the Israelites' inquiry of God might seem similar it reads in verse 18, The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, Who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Back in Judges 1, the Hebrew word used for God was Yahweh. Think personal and relational God. Here in Judges 20, this is not the same. They used the Hebrew word Elohim, a more generic and less relational name for God. Nevertheless, in both cases, God told Judah to go up against the enemy. However, it is clear that Israel's relationship with God has been deteriorating. They go from personal God to generic God. Well, how did I come to that conclusion from this chapter alone? Sure, sure, we know it to be contextually true because we're reading Judges. But even when we know the context of a chapter, we should still observe the text asking, what do I notice? Because, well, that's how good Bible study would have us proceed. So, when I compare the Judges 1 inquiry of the Lord to the Judges 20 inquiry of the Lord, there's an important where observation. W-H-E-R-E. Where, where, where are we? Remember, good observation answers the who, what, when, where, and why questions. And here in chapter 20, where did the Israelites go? Verse 18, the people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God. Where did they go? They rose and went up to Bethel. Why? Well, one commentator puts it like this. Bethel was only about four miles north, and the Ark of the Covenant was at Bethel during this time really interesting. Later on in the chapter, we'll see that the only mention of the ark in Judges is just a few verses down, verse 27. The people were not seeking the Lord much at this time, contrast to the more numerous references to the ark in Joshua, where the Israelites were more victorious. They apparently had moved the ark in the tabernacle from Shiloh. However, another possibility is that only the ark was at Bethel and the tabernacle was still at Shiloh. Potentially, the tabernacle, which was supposed to house the ark, had been separated from it. The Israelites most likely viewed the ark as a good luck charm. They had a low view of God's holiness, which explains their disregard for him as their commander-in-chief throughout this chapter, the commentator concludes. So given all that background, they're disregarding God, or they have been at least, we move on to the battle. The Benjaminites chosen to fight the rest of Israel were impressive. It's one tribe against all the rest. So in addition to the gazillion Benjamite men who had swords, verse 16 says that there were 700 chosen men who could sling a stone at a hair, H-A-I-R, and not miss. The sling, which was a left-handed weapon, wasn't a modern school voice catapult, but rather, as a commentator puts it, a formidable weapon of war used in the Assyrian, Egyptian, and Babylonian armies as well as in Israel. Fun fact— the lefties were from Gibeah. It's not really an important conclusion to draw there. I just thought that was interesting. On the first day of the war, the Benjaminites' team with the people from Gibeah destroyed 22,000 Israelite men. Although the Israelites were defeated, both in war and in spirit, they wept before and inquired of now Yahweh. Not Elohim, notice the shift, asking God what they should do next and obeying when they were told to go fight again the next day. And get this, the next day, once again, 18,000 Israelites were killed, not 18,000 Benjaminites, 18,000 in total from all the tribes. And the response of the Israelites was actually encouraging. The whole remaining army wept fasted, and offered sacrifices before the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant was present. There it is, verse 27. They asked the Lord again if they should go against their brothers, the tribe of Benjamin. Should we do it again? We've lost two days in a row now, or should we cease fighting? And the Lord told them that tomorrow, the next day, day three, he would give them into their hands. This time, the people of Israel drew the Benjaminites away and ambushed them. Benjamin began killing, just like the past two days, but when Israel gave the previously agreed-upon signal, they turned in battle and overtook Benjamin. It was then that 18,000 men of Benjamin were killed, and as they were fleeing, another 7,000 were taken down. Only 600 men of Benjamin survived. They fled to the Rock of Rimen, a deity who in Syria was known as Baal. That's the gist of this very depressing chapter. The Israelites fight each other, and one tribe is nearly wiped out in its entirety. Not all of them, but most of them. So what do we do with this? Well, there are a few ways the application of today's reading could go. Number one, when injustice runs rampant, how do you respond? We saw a Levite man who started this whole thing chop up a girl and incite a civil war. Was he right to commit such an act? Sure, he raised awareness to the dark levels of Israel's depravity by by sending this girl off to the tribes, but he also incited a civil war. When injustice runs rampant, how do you respond? And number two, do we trust the Lord's promises even after two days of tragedy? The tribes of Israel lost against Benjamin two days in a row, but they continued to seek the Lord, drawing closer and closer to him relationally. How do we respond when things don't go our way? Do we get angry with the Lord, or do we weep and pray humbly and honestly, inquiring of or asking what He wishes for us, how He wishes us to proceed? The Israelites initially, at the beginning of the chapter, inquired of the Lord, but they did so half-heartedly. Remember, they used the generic Elohim word for God rather than the personal Yahweh. But as life got tougher and tougher, we saw a shift— they called him Yahweh. They inquired of Yahweh. They were losing the battle and they drew near to God. What's your attitude toward God when life gets more and more disappointing? That's all we've got time for today. Special thanks to our summer intern, Michaela Swank, for helping write today's episode script. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together.